Hello and welcome to the Out of Space Games podcast, episode 14. So today we're going to be talking about Lovecraft, HP Lovecraft, the Cthulhu Mythos. And we're going to be actually rolling our characters to start a new Call of Cthulhu campaign. So, yeah, lots of exciting stuff for you, especially as we get into this Halloween spooky season. Anyways, my name is Jay. I'm David. And I'm Jared. Cool. So as I mentioned, as of this recording, we're in the second week of October. So the Halloween season is in full swing. I've always been a big fan of universal monsters, you know, uh, vampires, werewolves. So I figure probably one of the biggest influences on modern day horror literature, especially from, you know, authors in the last hundred years or so, has got to be H.P. Lovecraft. Since we're starting a new campaign for Call of Cthulhu, I figure we should probably talk about H.P. Lovecraft, maybe his influences, because we we see Cthulhu everywhere nowadays. There's like Cthulhu plushies. He's in almost every other board game. So I figure let's talk a little bit about that before we get into our characters and into playing the RPG. So how did you guys get, I guess, introduced to to Lovecraft or... I think for me, um, I was always kind of aware of H.P. Lovecraft and at least Cthulhu and like what he looked like and like the idea of this, you know, greater monster or whatever. But it wasn't until probably we started to do our Call of Cthulhu RPGs, I don't know, two, three years ago, that I really started to explore H.P. Lovecraft's other works and realized there was so much more to his writings than just Cthulhu. I started to get into the HP Podcraft podcast that you and Dave uh, recommended to my wife, um, and then I kind of got hooked on those as well. And I think actually the stories that I find the creepiest of his don't even have anything to do with like the Cthulhu mythos. It's more of just like that the unknown type of thing um, in general. But, you know, other people have kind of expounded upon his works a little bit and created this rich, like, mythos environment that now, you know, I feel like is always attributed to him, even though he just created a small portion of it. Yeah, that's a good point, Um, especially about fear of the unknown, I think, is a term you associate with Lovecraft. At the core of his writing is this, like, cosmic terror, being afraid of things that we can't necessarily comprehend. Or understand whether that be elder gods and these super powerful beings or just even everyday supernatural unexplained events. So I think it's a, it's a good setup and something, I think maybe why his work is so appreciated and resonates with so many people is because we can all find, I guess, similarities to that. Being afraid of the dark, being afraid of not knowing what's going on or just feeling insignificant at times. I mean, a lot of his stuff has this, I mean, there's that feeling of dread, but it's the feeling of dread that you can't control what's happening. Once you go to a certain point in 
even his story or, you know, I guess generally in anything, you get to a certain point, things just snowball and it's out of the character's hands. And that, that sense that it's moving inevitably towards something terrible and it's always something terrible. You know, that just kind of, even though you had the dread of the unknown, it's just this dread of something that you, you don't really understand, but you know, nonetheless, is going to be just the worst thing ever. So, I don't know. He he does that really well. So, so how did you get David get into the? Uh... I had actually heard of Lovecraft. Somebody mentioned him to me briefly way back in high school, like freshman year. Somebody said, "Oh, you should really read Lovecraft." And I was like, "Oh, it sounds like a good idea," and just kind of walked away. Never heard about it again <laughs> for like fifteen years. Um, well, and for... then sorry, but... I got to interject. I feel like. When you first hear Lovecraft's name without being familiar with the author, it almost sounds like like a, a pen name or like, you know, yeah. made yeah, up. A pen name for like a supermarket romance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like like a My Little Pony like uh, story or something along that lines. And if and at the time I was reading a lot of Stephen King, who I, who I do like, his early stuff at least. And when I tried to like read Lovecraft, they're really really different in terms of how Lovecraft sounds like Mm -hmm. it's just I mean it's obviously that early turn of the century type stuff but it's not I wouldn't even say it's as grounded or like I guess lyrical as like Poe or something like that but it's he just he uses like a lot of adjectives (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's Um, he uses like the hundred dollar words when you need like the five dollar word yeah and you just if I don't think if you're if you're not ready for it, then it can be kind of off-putting. But I can, I'm trying to think. I think I was reintroduced to it through possibly the RPG, and if not, then it was definitely the podcast because I would listen to it at work all the time. And it's I mean it's still around. You can look it up if you want to. But yeah, and then I listened through the entirety of that and kept playing the RPG. So I don't know it's nice. Cool. I had seen his name. I've heard of Cthulhu in passing. And it was actually at uh, the board game shop. I saw a game called Arkham Horror. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Previous to this, I didn't know where Arkham came from. I was only familiar with it through Batman. Batman. And, you know, Arkham Asylum. So when I, I picked up the box and it said something about, like, journey into H.P. Lovecraft's world of whatever. Maybe that's something worth looking look. Maybe that's something worth looking into. I'll cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> no, you're leaving that in. <laughs> you're a weirdo. <laughs> Tentacles got me all. No. So, <clears throat> yeah. But I think that sparked something in me where I just was interested or at least curious. Because the, the artwork looked pretty cool and it had this horror game feel to it. So, from there, I, I did eventually stumble upon the podcast. Which we've all discussed, and I think we would all recommend as an introduction to Lovecraft. So yeah, anyway, that sparked me, just being more interested in it, and kind of on this long journey towards board games, and then finally playing the RPG. Alright, Sean, what about you? Uh, You got me into it a couple years ago, when... You started getting me into Kickstarter, and then when I was visiting, you had me play the Call of Cthulhu with you guys. So before that, I hadn't really had direct Lovecraft or Cthulhu exposure, um, just because, yeah, the name sounded weird, and 
I'm not a fan of certain types of prose or types of writing. But I guess I, I did have a lot of like indirect exposure. I think as a kid, I watched a lot of Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters cartoons, so that definitely had a, a lot of the um, different horror aspects that were influenced by Lovecraft. And then, yeah, the direct exposure was, yeah, seeing every every three out of five Kickstarters being Cthulhu and the other two out of five being some s- stupid steampunk stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's my introduction to Cthulhu. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned, like, Ghostbusters and other influenced works because I feel like you may find that a lot of popular works in the media are influenced by Lovecraft while we don't see that many straight adaptations of his work. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Dave mentioned Stephen King and, and Stephen King has said between, you know, Lovecraft and Poe, there wasn't anybody else that was really that formative for him in, in his horror mindset, I guess you would say. And, and while his style isn't like directly, you know, in line with Lovecraft's, I think he does kind of hit on some of the same major themes, especially that like with with King and the Man in Black, and how he's always this kind of mysterious figure that kind of shows up again. That's the fear of the unknown, the the you don't really know what's going to happen, and you you probably don't really even have control over what's going to happen. It's just going to happen. One reason you see a lot of Kickstarters nowadays and other things based on his work is because. His work is is basically all in the public domain, so you don't have to license it or pay for it. If you use The Call of Cthulhu specifically, I believe Chaosium, who publishes the RPG, does own the rights to that. But everything else, if it's general Cthulhu stuff, you don't need to get any permissions. So that's why you see so many board games, Kickstarters, that. Well, and with um, his work, is the mythos, at least, is so like visual mm-hmm. i think it's very easy to create or maybe not easy but they're pre-established ideas that can be made into miniatures or artwork or whatever that you know fit together already and so with the the big miniature kick and kickstarter you're getting a lot of that you know with cthulhu wars and various other games that that grab onto the that cthulhu model to just put to stick into a miniature just for because even in the latest uh ghostbusters kickstarter they did throw in the the cat thulu which was kind of like a satire of cthulhu um in the original cartoon yeah that's a good point i think that universe is so rich that people can find a lot of stories and uh, ideas to continue adapting and i think it's interesting if you didn't know I feel like writers at the time, especially science fiction and pulp writers, which they were known as, they basically ran, wrote, like, fanfics of each other's work, right? Yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of the other writers just write their own uh, short stories of uh, different, uh, I guess, adventures in the Cthulhu mythos. And I think something about that is really interesting you know that the author would be like oh that's a cool like idea or a character you created i'm going to use it in my own story and kind of add to your universe even if you don't necessarily want me to 
I mean, well, I guess back in the day, what else are you going to do? Like, you mm-hmm. can sit around and, like, die of pneumonia or, you know, get the plague. Or basically, writing is your entire entertainment. So, you know, why not create a universe and just sit around and chill, I guess. All right. So some of some of the writers in his little circle of, I don't know, writers, like Robert E. Howard, he created Conan. So that kind of pulpy fiction somewhat related to like Tarzan and Princess of Mars. It, it was the same time period at least. And then Robert Block, he wrote Psycho, which was influenced by the the real serial killer who also influenced um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Silence of the Lambs and stuff. Ted Gein. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was all those people that were part of that um, like Depression era pulp horror like magazine, mm-hmm. Weird Tales, I believe, is where like Lovecraft got his kind of start. He was never he was basically like a pauper like throughout his life because none of his works really took off or made any money, and he was like useless at everything else because he was socially like inadequate. But then like you know now it's his works are exploding, and I think have really maybe stood the test of time because of the influence on other horror writers you know of the future generations yeah even something like the necronomicon is a fictional creation that he came up with and it sounds i don't know i never knew they were associated because the necronomicon i think almost had a life of its own people like made fake versions of it and it was closely tied to like the occult and other weird like gothic stuff going on but i feel like the Revival, I guess the modern revival Lovecraft probably came out due in large part to the RPG in the 80s. Or maybe it was an influx of the RPG hitting at the same time some republications and stuff. Because for a long time his stuff was almost out of print. And then um, I believe it was August Derleth who a lot of people bashed because he kind of added some mythos elements and created some rules for it that went against, I guess, Lovecraft's teachings but his publishing house was responsible for just keeping his work in print and uh, available and then even like more recently than that um if you watched like the first season of of true detective Hmm. um that was so strongly influenced by cthulhu And, and actually like while i was watching it I was like secretly hoping that it was going to take like this crazy like Cthulhu twist yeah. at the end. And and they didn't go that quite far with it. And then they totally destroyed the second season. But like the parts <laughs> there there were a lot of parts that definitely heavily borrowed from the Lovecraft mythos. Yeah. Which was which was cool to see. I think if they they should have just gone with it, you know, and been really ballsy like that because it would have blown people's minds. Yeah. And it, it was so well it was so well done, and the setup was perfect. Again, not a Lovecraft adaptation, but an influence that just worked so perfectly until they decided to break it off and do something else. But other, I think other Lovecraft influence works are Alien, Ridley Scott's Alien, The Thing, John Comforter's, even though that's based on... Well... I mean, the original is based on the short story, but it's John Carpenter's that more accurately follows that short story. I don't know. The first one is like, uh, it's a mixture of like plant and biological entity, which is actually mm-hmm. closer to a Lovecraft monster than anything else. 
Well, it, it's very similar to At the Mountains of Madness, which exactly. takes takes place in the Arctic, and I believe they were, Guillermo del Toro was working on a treatment of that, but after they made Prometheus, they canceled that, so. Because so they already wasted all their money on another movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was, in some way, thematically similar, just terrible. Just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of like uh, Neil Gaiman's work is heavily influenced by Lovecraft, uh, because he he kind of does a lot with like astrology and like cosmology, so that again fits into the you know yeah, there well, is something out there. Yeah, and he gets a whole pantheon of gods too. Right. Yeah, for quick. sure. So, but we should probably talk some uh, board games real quick. Like I mentioned earlier, Arkham Horror is probably the most well known. At least the most expensive. Anyways. <laughs> no, it's one of the more well-known, uh, just Lovecraft influenced board games. And it really does a good job of trying to capture the feel, the whole look and, and theme of um, one of these Lovecraftian adventures. So, in Arkham Horror, you basically play as investigators gathering clues and trying to seal away or prevent the Elder Gods from coming back to basically wreck the world. So in that sense, it's very similar to maybe the RPG. And it spawned some, you call them spinoffs? Yeah, like lighter versions of the game. So if you don't have like six hours to play, um, and you don't want to like have to keep track of everything, uh, you can play Elder Sign, which is kind of a, a watered-down yeah. version of Elder Sign, or with of Arkham Horror, just with dice. Yeah. There's Mansions of Madness, which is some ways closer to the RPG. You have like, you have a guy playing the role of the narrator and also the bad guys. And then you have, what's the latest one? Eldritch Horror. Which is like in between Arkham Horror and Elder Sign. Yeah, it's almost like a more streamlined Arkham Horror. So I feel like these games are very popular and they sell well because of the interest in the mythos, but also because People are trying to recapture and recreate that theme of all these games, but doing it in a board game form, you know? So after trying some of these, because we've tried, I've tried Arkham Horror and, and Elder Sign, but none of these really captured, I think, exactly what I was going for until I stumbled upon the RPG. I do want to say that I liked Cthulhu Wars. I mean, well, because it has monsters in it and the monsters fight each other, but when you read Lovecraft, it's always from the observation of somebody observing these gods or these cultists or something like that. And then when you go into Cthulhu Wars, you essentially become the cultists. You become, you know, Cthulhu or whatever, you know, the Yellow King. You know, you get to be the bad guys, essentially, and see it from that perspective and move about the world that way. So that's always a, a fun thing to just kind of flip and see what it's like on the other side instead of... Instead of your protagonist passing out, you know, and fainting, like, right before everything gets good, <laughs> you, you essentially go into the the good part and see what happens after that dude fainted, so. Yeah, most yeah. of the stories are on, like, And also with the RPG, too. too. I, I guess we did forget to mention that. That is a major theme of uh, Lovecraft's writing. It's like, <laughs> right when something's going to get good and you're going to, like, see this unknown, the character, like faints and then at the story ends or it ends up like him waking up later and he has no rep memory yeah. of what he saw and it's like 
come on, like just it's, one it's time. Just like bad writing in a TV show where they're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, we'll just cut to black and then you'll see the aftermath of what happens. Exactly. Of- because they have low budget and they yeah. can't actually like show the monster, <laughs> the bad CG. Well, and I think that really helps you. It helps make so many games. Why that? Why that becomes possible? Because if I mean, Lovecraft leaves so much open. Because I mean, for him, what it's supposed to be is the thing is so terrifying that the human mind can't comprehend it, and so the protagonist loses consciousness. Exactly. But even if even you're the creating name. something, you can't just yeah. Go ahead. I would say even the name Cthulhu. You know, it's not supposed to be something pronounced like that. It's it's basically the closest appropriation that like human mouths can can make right. yeah and so because there's all this space if you're making a game you can't just say you know throw down like a question mark miniature and be like well you know it's whatever you want it to be yeah like you have to sit there <laughs> and say well this is what i think it looks like you know and so you get this chance to create even though you know you have a basic idea like you have a basic idea what cthulhu looks like but everything else it just feels like you can just fill in the blanks with whatever you want you know so yeah, a lot of times he describes it like the monster as like so disgustingly terrifying. He was undescribable, and it's like, come <laughs> on! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and I think some of the horror almost comes from, or that feeling of terror comes from, the indifference of these these beings. Like they don't, we're so small and insignificant that we don't even matter. You know, they're not malicious or malevolent they just whatever yeah half yeah. the time like the protagonist like stumbles upon something and they just like ignore him like they're just like going about their business i remember the one i don't even remember what story it was but it was like these worm-like creatures that were down in this like stone castle basement that were oh, taking yeah. like young children and like flying away with them or something like that and they were just like he was down there and they were just like ignoring him and going about their business. Like you're not going to stop us. So we're just going to keep like sacrificing these young children. (laughs) And I mean, granted, not all his stories are like that, but the ones that I I guess you would encounter as a gamer, the mythos ones that involve the monsters are just like that. Just everything is so big around you or around the protagonist that, you know, you, you realize you just don't even matter. And if you run into anything, you know, it's a better chance you'll die than anything else. You're not going to die because they're like, oh, we hate you. There's going to be like, let me just get you out of the way real quick. And yeah, that happened, or, that happened to kill you. Yeah. Or oops, I walked and you were under yeah. my foot. <laughs> so kind of related to the RPG right now, there's a camp Kickstarter campaign. It's an RPG one called Delta Green. So Delta Green was a supplement for Call of Cthulhu that was set in the modern day. So with the RPG and so many of these board games, you take on the role of investigators. It almost becomes, it feels like X-Files-ish. where Yeah, for sure. Like the government would stumble upon it at some point. So what Delta Green did was basically like, all right, there was a huge incident that occurs in one of the, in Lovecraft country. And the government actually sends in troops to do something about it. So these guys are like, well, what happens after that? You know, so this organization basically builds up and becomes, like I said, very X-Files, Men in Black-ish. The first book actually came out a year before the X-Files, the show started, so. You know, sorry, you yeah. know who we haven't mentioned whose stuff is all based on that is Hellboy. Oh, yeah. Their stuff is all basically mythos stuff, more mm-hmm. or less. 
and even the investigative element is i mean that's the agency he works for so sorry yeah no you're right BPRD. I feel like Hellboy always gets forgotten, even though it's he's awesome. <laughs> I really enjoy Hellboy. Yeah, it is also a Lovecraft influence work that did a good job of it. You know, there are yeah. of course some terrible <laughs> ones out there. <laughs> Basically, anything with the name Lovecraft in it is pretty <laughs> bad. So Delta Green, they're this new Kickstarter anyway. They're launching basically a standalone book. So. Instead of, it used to be like a supplement, so you needed Call of Cthulhu rulebook and Delta Green, which gave you all the additional rules and stuff. Now they've kind of all rolled it into one. Maybe tried to streamline a couple things, but definitely worth checking out. If you've ever visited Board Game Geek, the RPG equivalent is RPG Geek, and the top two, like on the hotness, basically since its inception, has been Delta Green and one of its follow-ups so a great rich universe with with good writers and just building upon the cthulhu mythos in a modern day setting so check it out the most merciful thing in the world i think is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents but someday the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. All right, so that was just a very brief overview of kind of Lovecraft and the mythos. Again, there's a ton of resources out there. We highly recommend the HP Lovecraft literary podcast, HP Podcraft. And also just, you know, check out any one of those board games we mentioned. But I believe if you really want the full, like, Lovecraft atmosphere and theme in a game setting you'd be wrong not to check out the call of cthulhu rpg so right now we're going to invite you to join us as we begin our journey as we've been a campaign through 1920s as we roll some characters and everything so it's kind of one of the fun parts of the campaign you get to kind of create a story for your character who may or may not die very soon so <laughs> don't invest too heavily in them but um they're more likely to go insane yeah and die crazy and stuff I don't so know, with us i think it's more likely they die yeah crit misses underwater yeah. are not good things all right so if you've never played the rpg before basically the premise is the players are investigators who somehow stumble upon a mystery, I guess, and they're just kind of go along for the ride, find out clues, and try to solve this investigation. It's basically Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I mean, that's totally what you just described. Okay, whatever, man. <laughs> you just didn't say they had a mystery van. Like, <laughs> This is true. And at the end, the, the guy will take off his rubber mask and say, <laughs> and I almost got away with it <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling kids. All right. So we just spoiled the next 14 episodes for you. But <laughs> if you're still interested in, in listening to how it all goes down, character creation, big part of it, as in any RPG. So hopefully you'll be able to glean a little bit about how the system plays through that and maybe how it's different than other RPGs. It's not as much 
adventure or combating. There's no leveling up. You're not slaying dozens of goblins, you know, with one cleave of your axe. But you'll spend some time in a library reading books and finding nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so if that sounds fun to you, now nobody's then you've play. come to the right place. <laughs> no, it's almost like what what you mentioned, Sean, that not everything about how what's interesting necessarily isn't necessarily the mythos creatures. It's more the setting and uncovering Atmosphere. Yeah, what's happening as it goes along. So and, and just trying like really to get into it, like I feel like the very first time we did Cthulhu, it was like legitimately like creepy. And uh we, it was actually on Halloween, like mm-hmm. three years ago, was the first time we had ever done it. And it was like legitimately a little scary. And there's been other times where it's definitely been like, this is like a little eerie. Actually, I'm going to tell a funny story. We were playing a, a submarine episode. So we had two keepers. <laughs> so we had two groups of people, and each keeper was running a different like portion of it. So we had these walkie-talkies. It's in the middle of the night. It's kind of like raining. It's in the fall, or it's in like the late summer. And we're, we're going back and forth on these walkie-talkies, and all of a sudden, we hear this, like, creepy, creaky old voice that says, Please get off this channel! <laughs> and, like, we were on some, like, old lady's, like, baby monitor or something. <laughs> I don't know. And, like, Is there a sca- life alert? <laughs> yeah! Like, it, like, scared the <laughs> shit out of me. <laughs> and we, we just all just, like, died laughing, and, and like, you know, we've played in thunderstorms before where it's just like, you know, thunder and lightning outside and pouring rain. I think it just like adds to the atmosphere and kind of the creepiness. Of course, we always play at night. And if you really kind of immerse yourself into it, since we don't know where the story's going, you definitely have to kind of prepare for the unexpected. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully they're not too predictable or like linear, you know, should give you plenty of options. Because I think the the main strength of the RPG is that because you have a human person reacting to what decisions you make, it makes it more, I guess, fluid or um, adaptable on the fly. So you can almost do whatever you want and have the keeper react to it. So what we're going to do is roll some characters. And I think character creation, it helps like flesh out your backstory. One of the fun parts about playing an RPG is that while you feel so not connected, hopefully, to your character, it also allows you to, I mean, roleplay. That's what the RP stands for. And maybe make some decisions and do certain things you wouldn't do in real life. But uh, some quick notes. This podcast and this campaign will be run online. This is our first time. We've never tried this online before. So we'll see how that goes in terms of, like, I can't just hand you a handout. So there'll be some electronic delivery methods and Hopefully everything works out without too many technical issues. But yeah, let's start out with our characters. So if you didn't know, I will be the keeper for this campaign. So I will not be rolling a character. So in virtually every uh, edition of the rulebook, there are character creation rules. And also in the quick start, it'll teach you real quick if you, if you want to just go over the overall stats and stuff. It's something you can follow along with and see how it happens. So there are basically five steps to create an investigator. You generate your characteristics, decide what occupation you're going to be, and then um, after those are picked, you essentially allocate like how many skill points and what skills you have. 
with these in place, the stats kind of help you create a backstory. Because if, you know, you have high or low stats somewhere, it helps just add to what your character is good or, or not good at. And then finally, you can uh, kind of load out your investigator with a trusty pen and notepad and stuff. Very exciting. Oh, that's another thing. So, uh, Lovecraftian stuff. He kind of wrote about his own own time period. So, it takes place in the 1920s, a lot of it, the Jazz Age, Prohibition, stuff like that. So, this adventure will also take place in that time. All right. Before we get started, our last member just joined us, and he's going to also be rolling a character. So, yeah, I, I didn't wasn't able to roll anything because it didn't work, but I came up with a name and kind of some stuff about my guy. No, we're going to roll right now. So first statistic is strength. It's going to be three D6s, and you multiply it by five. Multiply it by five? Yep. Oh, damn. <laughs> I'm very strong. <laughs> All right, so strength is like the muscle power, basically. You can lift things, Jared. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm a good, I'm a good lifter. Or you, you can cling tightly to trees as you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good for combat too. So you will have opportunities, unlike most other campaigns. I'll give you that hint where you will be able to use some strength. All right. Next is Constitution. It's also three d six times five. And what's your Constitution? Uh, represents like health, vigor, vitality. So. Oh dang! This no, I, I I have like a terrible roll. <laughs> so poisons and diseases, you know, mess with your constitution. Just how resistant you are. So you're like a glass cannon, basically. You got the glass yeah. jaw, Jared, over there. <laughs> like big time. I have a, I have an eighty strength and I have a thirty constitution. Oh, that's like oh, that's like flipping me. I'm like thirty five <laughs> and eighty five. I rolled a I, I rolled a six five five and then I rolled a three two one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't have rolled any worse and any better. I think it's interesting though. It'll make for an interesting character. So I must have like MS or something. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Next is uh, size. So you're gonna d- do two d six this time. Plus six. Plus six, you said? Yeah. yeah. So it's basically 3d6. One of them is just like an auto six. So, How small are you? I'm average. Are you a baby, Sean? No, I think... I have no idea. What's average? Well... 50. Like, a 12 would be, like, average. It should uh, be 3 3. Yeah, so size is like an average of height and weight into a single number, so maybe if you're you're tall, you can see over a wall, or if you're small, you can squeeze through an opening. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> these are almost all like 3d6 Yeah. times 5. So next is dexterity, 3d6 times 5. Oh, shit. That was a good roll. Let's see. Dex is like your reaction, your nimbleness, flexibility. Times five? Yeah. yeah. Everything is going to be times five. So it gives you a stat out of 100. Jeez, mine sucks. The next one is my favorite. Appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be the ugly one? 3d6 times five. Jerry's get a 30. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm ugly. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nobody's I'm talking really to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, so I rolled a six. Total? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as ugly as I am unhealthy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 30. Oh, wow. I'm pretty. I'm 70. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Good looking. All right. Next is intelligence. This time you get... It's a 2d6 plus 6. So. Ooh. I'm super smart. Makes up for my pure. This is also your value for idea. If there's idea up there somewhere. It's Yeah, it's the same box. Okay. Cool. I don't have the sheet in front of me. So are you guys using the auto calc? Sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, I'm not. I'm just writing down yeah. the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm using pencil and paper. All right. Next, power. 3d6 times 5. So power is like your force of will. Um, your aptitude and resistance to magic. <laughs> I'm weak. Really? Because that's also your sanity. Your power. All right. Next is education. 2d6 plus 6. I'm not educated. I'm really smart, though. So education literally is like formal education, formal knowledge gained through going to school or whatever. So you could be smart without having gone to school. So so Kelsey just got here, so I'm going to let her give a, a rundown of my characteristics, see what she thinks of my character. Uh-huh. I have really Why good. are you from Iowa? <laughs> So basically, I'm really strong, You're but huge. I'm really sickly. I'm not huge. I'm a 12. I'm average. And that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> she was trying to help me out there, but you found it down. <laughs> well, she made it sound like I was, like, abnormally huge. <laughs> okay. You guys do luck yet? No. Okay, no. so so luck is just 3d6 times 5. So basically, I'm just pretty. That's about all I have. I'm not even that pretty. I'm just a little pretty so far. You go ahead and choose your age. I'm guessing everyone is choosing between 20 and 39. Yeah. Okay. So what you're supposed to do for this age range, you'll make one of your D100 rolls or your percentiles against your education. So what do you mean against it? Like trying to roll under it? Um, In this case, try to roll above it. So... D D one hundred. Yeah. If you get higher, then roll a D ten and add add that much to your education. And uh, if I roll under, then don't do anything. Correct. And just trying to give you your points for your your college or your high school diploma or your mm-hmm. <laughs> college degree. I'll give you some education. All right. So if you're using the auto calc, so the numbers next to your characteristics for a half and fifth. Those should be, like, automatically calculated. Yep. Yeah. All right. So when you roll against those, like, if it's better than your, or you, you're you under your half value, that's a hard success. And if you're under okay. your, your fifth value, it's an extreme success, so. Extreme success. Exactly. Next, uh, damage bonus. So we're going to look at your your size plus strength, and then read them, read them out to me. I'll give you those. So mine and Dave's, I think, are already automatically like calculated. Oh, okay. Mine were both sixty-five, so then one hundred and thirty. Yeah. So you get um one d four. I'd be ninety-five then. You get you get no bonus. Sorry, Shane. 
So I get one D four, then like what is that do I roll that right now? Just write down one one D four. Because you'll just roll a D four when you do do damage. Huh? Oh okay. Almost done here with your basic stats. So for your hit points, it's gonna be your constitution plus your size. And dividing by ten. Round down. It might do it automatically. Yeah, yep, it did. Sean and Dean, you guys good? Yeah, I have thirteen. Okay. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Uh, fourteen. Yeah, that's that's good. Okay, and then your your movement rate. Your geysers should be automatically calculated. Correct. Alright. For Sean and Dean, if your dexterity and strength are both less than your size, your movement is seven. What if one is the same amount? Uh, your movement is eight. And if they're both greater than size, then your movement is nine. And you get no penalty for your age. <laughs> All right. So now occupations. Hopefully you've thought about this. Do you want us to read them out to you, Jay? Guess. If you guys don't have it already, get the investigator handbook out. Because it'll tell you like what skills you... Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, so choose one from there. I'm going to be a junior professor of archaeology, and I'm going to use the archaeology skill tree. Okay. I'm a smuggler. This guy. <laughs> and I guess that means I use the criminal skill tree. All right. I'm a drifter. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> All right. And then Dean? Other photographer. All right, so then the following pages kind of details what skills you will get. And skill points you will get for your occupation. Why don't you explain it a little bit more, Jay? Yeah, sure. So after you've chosen your occupation, there's a list of skills that you'll be able to basically throw points into. It gives you your occupation skill points. So how many, I would imagine, yeah. that you can use? All right, so go ahead and do that. It should tell you. It'll give you a stat, most likely based on your education. So you take whatever that says. So like mine is education times four. And you're going to apply it. Yeah. Correct. Those, the skills that they give you. Yeah, education times four. And then you're going to have, uh, your skills are art and craft, photography, climb. You get to choose one of the, you know, charm, fast talk, intimidate, or persuade. Other language will be useful. I'll let you know what languages you might want. Uh, psychology and then science. And then you get to choose two other skills as personal or era. For your credit rating, just to keep yourselves honest. <laughs> you just roll it? Yeah, if you could. That'd be I think that'd be like ideal. I, I don't know. It doesn't need to No, it doesn't need to be like a D one hundred. It has a range for you to like choose between, you know? Yeah. So something that falls within that that range. I have a very low credit rating. What is the drifter's natural Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I rolled low, so... <laughs> okay. It's all right. We'll roll with it. Ha, ha, ha. All right. So basically, um, I'm guessing the other guys are doing... You're going to take those points you generated from... So your occupation skill points you generated from your education times whatever. And you're going to apply those to all the skills that they've given you. Okay? So, Jay, um, uh, my skills, it doesn't call out being able to like assign it to any skill do you want me to assign some to a random skill or do you want me to stick within those eight stick within those eight you're only supposed to have eight right now you'll get more don't worry okay limited to these but these are the ones that 
are occupation specific. In Call of Cthulhu, if you're fifty percent, you're supposed to be considered a at like a professional level. You can, so if you get it right half the time, I guess you're a professional at it. <laughs> what about um for like other language? You said you were gonna give us a language. Yeah, let me look. French, Italian, and German may be useful. Also, other ones, Turkish or Latin. Wow, we're gonna be meeting a lot of people <laughs> or reading a lot of books, but but. That is rule number one in Cthulhu. Do not read any books. Go read them out loud. <laughs> yeah, you can read them to yourself privately. Yeah, I mean, these languages aren't necessary since you will have, like, either charm or fast talk, stuff like that. Right. It's just, it's one of my standard skills. Gotcha. So I put a good chunk of points into it. Yeah, I mean, I think Latin would make sense for your character, but yeah. if you feel like you've studied somewhere else. Sure, Latin works. I don't know. Because everything's based on Latin, right? Sure. I'm excited for this character. Uh, yeah. Well, like, I, as I talked before the podcast on that, uh, whenever we do Call of Cthulhu, I always feel that I, I really struggled for the motivation. And I think that this character will be a little bit easier for me to assign motivation on why I'm doing this. Yeah. I think it will, too. I think yours will fit right along. Um, I am going to start off the campaign very differently than what it recommends. Almost give you guys an introduction uh, adventure with a lot of action. We'll start off with a bang and then get into the, like the real mystery. Do you think I'll need the firearms skill at all? Um, it won't be bad. Like I said, there's there is going to be combat. Might not always be easy to transport firearms though. Hmm. Hmm. Dave will have to smuggle it for him. <laughs> yeah, smuggle skill. Yeah, I need to come up with your special skill still. Smuggling um. it down his pants. <laughs> <laughs> is that a firearm or are you just happy to see me? Yeah. No, my size is just average. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Jared, since I'm guessing you're done with um Yeah, I I'm I'm full. Okay, so your your personal interest skills. Okay. Like it might be a hobby you think you're good at or you know, and no, you're not. Hobby is not spot hidden <laughs> all the time. I like. I, I already have a pretty strong spot. Yeah, hidden. I don't. I don't mind if you throw a little bit of points into these, like you know, Cthulhu um, helpful skills. But <laughs> if everyone's like, my hobby is library use, yeah. Then... <laughs> so it's going to be your intelligence times two. So you just want us to pick one for that. Or to this is where we're gonna spread them out into wherever you want various. Ah, so intelligence times two, and those points go anywhere except for Cthulhu mythos. So these go anywhere in the investigator skills. Yeah, any anything that it could pump what you've already done, but it should go to other areas. And I think just thematically, like I said, it should be a hobby or something you feel like your your character is really good at. Better not be seeing any like. Spot hidden of 80, okay? Or 70. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I added a bunch to earlier. I have 75 from the, the <laughs> stuff before. What? Fine, whatever. <clears throat> you're you're just going to have to make, fail, but it, it, make us not be able to use it. Well, it, it makes a little bit of sense for the photographer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, I, again, I, I care more. If it makes sense, it's fine. Just... I was going to say you're okay. either a creeper, but I mean, then I you're could... a photographer, so you're okay. <laughs> you're definitely a creeper. Yeah, don't try to min-max, you know. We're going to have a good time. Anyway. 
But like I said, personal interest, so your intelligence times two, and those points go anywhere. But try to think of maybe a, a hobby or something your character is good at besides their, their main occupation. So It could be a firearm thing, too, now. Right. Wait, so your constitution was a 30, Jared? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do I get, like, do I get a, like, a negative off that? I feel like I should have, like, a small arm or something. Like, a 50 is the average health of human. <laughs> yeah. They said uh, a 15 is, what, weak health, prone to bouts of ill health, and great propensity for feeling pain. <laughs> yeah, that's why I feel like I should have, like, a bum leg or something. <laughs> a bum arm. But your strength is what? 80. Oh, yeah. So that's very... Way above average. 50 is like average for everything. So, if you guys are less than average, uh, appearance. Appearance of 15, they say, is ugly, possibly disfigured due to injury or at birth. <laughs> <laughs> less, that's less than 50? Yeah. Okay. No, no, that's, no, that's 15. That's like 15. Oh, 15. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, try to use your stats to create a backstory. You know, I think that's just what, and one of the interesting things about Call of Cthulhu is that, you know, based on your dice roll. All right, maybe Jared, you start introduce your your character. So I'm going to be playing as Walter Price, the junior professor of archaeology for the University of Chicago. I'm a, I'm a 29 year old male currently living in Chicago, but from Iowa. So I can maintain my Midwestern accent and not have to uh, throw anything crazy out there. I'm actually a, a pretty strong, intelligent guy. I have high both strength, intelligence, and education. Above average appearance and size. Average dexterity. Below average power and constitution. And constitution I would consider to be low at 30. So we'll see what kind of things that gets me into. Before our next session, I'm going to come up with some sort of negative attribute that will go along with that constitution. Like what specific, like the weaknesses? or Right, yeah, like if I, you know, so I'll think on that one. So a lot of my skill points are in the archaeology, like arts, I guess you would say. So I have, um, I have strong archaeology, strong science, strong spot hidden and library use. And then for some of my hobbies, I decided my guy has a bit of an anger problem. <laughs> so uh, I pumped Intimidate to 55 and uh, the fighting skill to 65. Uh, some skills that hopefully will play a role, as well as I added um, 50 points into Occult. I think that kind of goes along with the archeo- archaeology okay. um, yeah. profession there. And then I also have uh, some strong other language skills in Latin. As long, along with some other, you know, skills that are a little bit smaller, but still would be decent roles to have to make. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's good. So, my guy's name is Everett Turner. He's a smuggler. He's 27 from Gary, Indiana, but he was born in Southampton, Virginia. He's a relative of Nat Turner, who was the slave revolt guy. From back in the day. Well, because he's a smuggler. Well, let's see. He has below average strength, constitution. He's above average in height and appearance. He's pretty smart, but very low dexterity, low power as well. So, 
we'll just say he plans ahead really well. <laughs> Put it that way. Because if he gets into something, it's not going to go well. He does have a sawed-off shotgun that he carries around. Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's got a decent spot hidden, but his persuade is his highest one. Okay. Um, just nice. in case he needs to talk his way past the cops. And he has a he has 50 for drive auto. And his his hobby is history, even though he has some mechanical repair. But, um, yeah, his hobby was history. He carries Nat Turner's skull with him, hmm. which in real life actually went missing, kind of. But it went missing in Gary, Indiana. He has Nat Turner's skull. And he has a wooden truncheon that's made from <laughs> made from the fence post that Nat Turner used to kill some people during his rebellion. So, yeah. Wears a black bowler hat, suspenders, work pants, boots, and shirt. Has some suits. Nice. Alright. I am Garfield Hernandez from New York. <laughs> He's a drifter. 28 years old. He has very low strength. He's really smart, even though he's not educated. He's fugly, because his appearance is really low. <laughs> Average size and height. He used to boost cars when he was younger, so he's um, good at auto driving, and also first aid, because he used to get beat up a lot. Okay. He got hit by the depression, so he's a good Alright. Uh, my guy will be Henry Condor, the 27 year old male from Portland, Oregon. I'm a photographer. Uh, I got into photography at a young age, taking pictures mm-hmm. of um, um, naked ladies. The, the wilderness. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> but, uh, first started out taking pictures of like the, the wilderness and the city. I have stealth and slightly higher than average locksmith skills because I got used to uh, sneaking around and getting to places to take pictures that I wasn't supposed to be at. Well, a little bit of mechanical repair, so because I, you know, I had to fix my camera and whatnot. And science and chemistry, learning how to develop um, your film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, spot hidden. We already gone over. We already went over that. It's pretty high because I'm. I'm used to seeing things. Also have some sleight of hand skills for photography, being able to quickly take pictures or whatnot, and that goes along with my charm, getting away, getting you know, into opportunities of taking pictures of people. Sometimes close, sometimes not, depending. You know, using my charm and my uh, pretty high level of appearance. I have a decent amount of psychology because I know how to talk to people and I know a little bit of Italian French because I, you have to talk to, you know, those Italian French models and girls enough to be able to understand, you know, (laughs) to to, to communicate what you need them, what pose you want them in. Nice. And those, those models bring in quite a bit of money. So that's why such a high credit rating. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. All right. Cool. Yeah, that's really good. I did figure out what my uh, ailment is going to be. Okay. So I contracted a sleeping sickness during an archaeological uh, dig in Egypt. <laughs> it was actually treated with a uh, ceramine, but I, I still suffer some side effects of the drugs, which include like uh, some kidney damage, uh, some, some cloudy urine, 
and <laughs> the tingliness, tingliness of the of the skin. So, Tinkliness. Uh... <laughs> cool. I think that that is going to be a fun group. It's kind of nice that you guys are younger too. You can afford to be a little more adventurous, which will serve well in this campaign. So, um, yeah, those are the characters we have: Walter, Everett, Garfield, and Henry. A little more ragtag bunch of characters, I think. But um, yeah, it should be a really fun adventure as we journey through various parts of the world. So yeah, that'll be, I guess, the end to the character creation. You heard some of the backstories, and hopefully you've seen how stats can kind of affect how you work that out and give them motivations. But I think we're all really excited to get into the campaign. Um, I know I'm not revealing that much. It'll become apparent, hopefully, before long, what adventure or campaign we're running. But we invite you to continue listening along. We'll be producing, I guess, the Call of Cthulhu episodes along with our regular podcast. But it should be a really good time. Uh, We'd like to thank you for listening, though. Just one final shout-out to Lovecraft, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He's dead. Yeah. But his his works have been really inspiring, and I think, you know, there's a reason why there's so many games, publication, books, other media and fiction that either directly influenced or adapt his work. Something worth checking out, especially if you've you've seen it everywhere and you have no idea what it's about. Hopefully we've shed some light on that and got you interested in checking it out. But we'd like to thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Out of Space Games. Or if you want to email us, outofspacegames at gmail.com. Other than that, you can also find our videos on our YouTube channel, Out of Space Games. And of course, our podcast on iTunes, Stitchers, and other great podcatchers out there. But yeah, this is Jay. I'm David. I'm Sean. I'm Dean. And I'm Jared. We're Out of Space Games. Catch you next time. 10 o'clock.